Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Awesome. So good to be up here with all of you guys. Uh, once again, I just want to quickly introduce myself again. My name is Paul. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor here at the Plant Church. And it's so good to be able to see you guys uh, again. Um, and I kind of just want to jump straight into it. You know, these days, when you scroll through, like, Instagram, uh, you, you can kind of see what people do. Uh, if, you, if you look through since COVID, it's, it seems like every time you look at someone's profile or someone who's trending, they all seem to be entrepreneurs these days. Everybody seems to have started their own business. It's, it's quite funny because when I think of what an entrepreneur is, and you, kinda, and you Google the definition, an entrepreneur is a person who organizes and operates a business or business taking on what would be a greater than normal risk. But as I was just meditating on this passage and just this new series of authority, we ask, what is it that every entrepreneur needs in order to start a business? Well, yeah, that's true, too. You need money, right? You need a little bit of money. But there's vision. We all need vision. Everybody say that word with me, vision. And even as a leader of an organization, whether you're an entrepreneur or leading your own organization, you have to have vision of what you want to lead or where it wants to go. You look at like someone like even Steve Jobs. I'm not much of an Apple guy. I'm more of like an Android, Samsung person. I know, right? Like, boo, get him off the stage. <laughs> no, but one thing I do love about Apple is you look at what Steve Jobs and what his vision of, when he, of what he saw for Apple was that for it to be this all-inclusive, like all-in-one computer, this hardware, to make it so simple that even a kid could use it. I mean, we look at what Apple does, and it's so simple. It's so simple. And, and Steve Jobs has this vision of it, and he pushes for that vision of what, it, what he sees it becoming. And see, that's also true even as a pastor, that when we look at the church, the pastor also has, a, has to have a vision. We look at Pastor Rob and what his vision for the plant and what it's coming into fruition. I imagine that even for Pastor Andrew, what he has a vision for this West Milford campus, what Pastor Rob has a vision for the Mawa campus, even myself as the youth and young adults pastor, my vision for what the youth look like and how and where I see them going and becoming. Now we have to understand that this isn't, in the church, this isn't something that's simply manufactured, but a vision from what we see comes from the scriptures and how we want it to manifest as, as a community. And there are passages that we target for what we hope our church community will become. And there are passages that have a deep truth and a picture of how the church community will one day function, even for us here today in this, in this place. Like Pastor Andrew was saying, Sunday is not the church. 
is simply a gathering of the church. Whether it's a business or a church community, in what we lead, there needs to be a vision of what we want to see come in reality one day. And so as we continue in this series of authority, of what spiritual authority looks like, our goal today is to look at a passage that I believe God, what God is calling the plant to be. And this can only happen when our community is plugged into Jesus. And so if you guys would all join me, we're going to open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Um, If you guys have your physical Bibles, I want to invite you to open that up. Uh, If you don't, you can always look on the screen. And I want to invite you as we read the word of God this morning, would you all stand with me as we read this word today? I'll read it aloud for us, but I'd also invite you to read along with me. In Mark chapter 2, the word of God says this, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asks them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? And so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. And all, God's, all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Let's pray once more before we continue. Gracious Father God, Lord, we just humbly come before you now. First and foremost, God, we just want to give all glory to your name. That God, we need you. We need you more than ever before. God, you bring us to this place so that we can gather to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, would you just bring a fresh anointing, a fresh word to your people. Lord, that your word would come so heavy that we could almost feel its presence even on our shoulders, that your glory would be felt. Lord, I pray for that anointing just to fill your church today. Lord, would it bring healing to the people who need healing? Would it bring encouragement to the people who need encouragement? Would it bring love to the people who need a bit of love today? But that your word would just fill us anew. Holy Spirit, would you just come? Fill us with your word and have your way. We, we just love you and we thank you, Jesus. In your son's name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. I want to give a little context uh, to this passage before we continue. 
To understand what's going on here, we kind of got to jump back to the previous chapter. We want to look at Mark chapter 1 real quick. See, what, ha- what happens in Mark 1 is that, So what's happening is that Jesus is returning to Capernaum, and news is quickly uh, spreading. And so the house that he's staying at is packing up so fast. And so we ask, what happened at Capernaum before he left? We see in the, in the text in the previous chapter that Jesus calls his first disciples. He calls out to Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And so Jesus and his boys go to Capernaum, on the day, and on the day of the Sabbath, Jesus goes to a synagogue and he teaches now, hear me when I say this. People are amazed at his teaching because he taught, and the scripture says this, he taught with authority. Everybody say that word with me, authority. It says that Jesus taught with authority unlike the other religious teachers of the law. And so there's a, there's a sense, an air about him, an atmosphere around him that when he's teaching, that's different from just everybody else. And we further on continue to see in, in, in Mark in this first chapter is that you have a man who's possessed by evil spirits, calls out to Jesus, but Jesus reprimands the evil spirit and he casts it out. And news of Jesus' authority continues to spread all throughout Galilee and he, you see him healing and casting out demons from many. And afterwards, we come to this chapter where Jesus is heading back to Capernaum. He's returning to one of the disciples' hometown where he's been away on this journey. And more than likely, he's coming back to kind of just recuperate for himself. And so Jesus is in this house, and the crowds, had al- they already know of him, and they're swarming into this house like it's a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> the place is packed. People are standing outside, looking throughout the windows, trying to get a glimpse at what Jesus might do to try to catch a word of what he might say. And many people of this town, they know or know, have known Jesus. And you can imagine, you got all types of people in this place. You got friends. You got people looking for hope. You got people hoping to catch a little bit of healing. You got people trying to catch a little bit of inner peace or maybe a little direction in their life. But you also can't forget the skeptics. In the midst of all this mayhem and all this chaos that's going on, you see four men show up carrying their friend on a mat, which might probably look like a little, a bit of a portable stretcher. And this man is paralyzed, yet these friends were driven to have Jesus heal their friend. Now we look at verse 2. It says, soon the house he was staying at was so packed that the visitors with visitors, that there was no more room even outside the door. Brothers and sisters, can I be a little personal with you? As I was reading this passage, there was a heavy conviction on my heart of the church, of Christians today. And the conviction really held my heart that there seems to be a reluctancy of God's people to really step into what God is doing. More often times than not, what I tend to see is a more tenacious attitude when it comes to our workplaces and our agenda. But when it comes to church, when it comes to his kingdom, 
well, let me see if I can make it. We look at the rain and, oh man, it's raining outside. Maybe I'll try again next Sunday. And it's almost as if we seem to push our personal agendas a little more further and we become a little bit more tenacious to see those things happen rather than see what God, God really wants to see happen. And I almost imagine what it would look like if we were to have that kind of conviction like these friends. See, these friends understood and recognized something here. He, they recognized that there was no way in. It was so packed. And one would think that in their midst, one would think that doubt and frustration will cause them to leave and say, hey, well, maybe we can catch Jesus another time. But rather they knew one way in, yet it would be risky. See, friends, what we have to understand is this. When I look at the story of these friends, these friends were entrepreneurs. They were, they were entrepreneurs of healing, of healing. See, they had a vision like entrepreneurs to see their friend be healed. But Lord knows that nothing in our life goes the way we want it to. We all have plans. We all have backup steps and ways of step one, two, three, four of how to accomplish the things we want. And if there's anything we've understood in life, it's that it never goes the way we plan it to. There's always something that happens. And, yet, and, and likewise with these friends, I imagine they had a plan. We're going to bring our friend. We want to see him healed, and we're going to walk through those doors, and we're going to bring him to Jesus. And yet there seems to be obstacle after obstacle after obstacle in their way. But they had a vision. But like every vision, there requires them, they may require a bit of a risk. And so these friends didn't allow this obstacle to simply stop their way. They weren't reluctant. Oh, man, sorry, bro, like we tried. We tried. How many times have we say that? Oh, man, I tried. God, I tried. Try again next time. Imagine if Jesus on the cross said, ah, oh, man, sorry, God. Sorry, Dad, I tried. Maybe in the next couple thousand years, I'll try again. Church, how many times do we just go to God and say, man, God, I tried. And we walk away. These friends, but they looked at their, these friends look at their, look at their disabled brother and said, no, we ain't giving up on just, I tried, we tried. And so what they do is they start being creative. They start putting their heads together and say, hey, let's find a way. And they knew of a way. They figured out a way, but it was a risky way. See, back in biblical times, houses had temporary roofs made up of branches and clay. And every house had a outside, an, an outside stairway that would lead to the balcony, which would lead to the roof. And these men, with this man on a stretcher, they start climbing with a disabled brother up the balcony onto the roof. That's not exactly smart or safe. 
And once they get on the roof, these men with this man on a stretcher, as they climb onto the roof, start ripping it apart. Now, I want you to imagine this scene playing out because as Jesus is teaching, Jesus is preaching to the crowd, almost like right now, he imagines this, that as, as we're here, the ceiling starts falling apart. Someone's on the roof going, tearing it up. Now, it's not, it's, you got to understand, that house's roof is not as stable as, as this one. It's not as clean and wonderful looking. And so you can imagine that this place is packed with people standing outside looking through windows, sir, looking up and just like, yo, what's going on? Sticks and clays are landing on people's heads, falling over the floor. You can imagine even the homeowner looking up. Yo, what's going on? It's a picture of absolute chaos and destruction. And you can imagine that the people, that, that people might start standing up. They start making a scene. They're yelling like, yo, chill, like, stop, please. Imagine if someone was doing this over here. Pastor Andrew would be like, where's John Mitchell? <laughs> <laughs> They're destroying the house of God right now. Where's John Mitchell? But you would also imagine Jesus' face as he's just sitting there, he's teaching, and he's looking up, and he's saying, like, what is going on? And furthermore, you can imagine Jesus' face that when he watches these four men with all their might start lowering their friend with one hope, the hope that Jesus would heal their friend so that they may experience life of, not, of no longer being debilitated. Now hear me when I say this, friend. See, in verse 5, it says these three words. See their faith. Let me say again. Seeing their faith. Now what I want us to understand is this, that when these friends were dropping their friends down, I imagine they were lowering him in some ways or means or whatever. They're getting this man down. But I also imagine that they also bring up the ropes or however they put this man down because they're, in their faith, there's a proven, there seems to be a proof of determination and faith of these friends of this paralytic man. That they are counting on Jesus. They're banking on Jesus healing their friend because it's a lot harder to bring this man down than to bring him back up. And they lower him down because what they account for is that they are not going to bring this man back up through the roof. But they bank on this man walking out that door that's been already blocked and closed off. The entry into the house was already closed off. It was blocked off. And this man would not be able to walk in that door to find healing. But the faith of their friends, believing in the divine power of Jesus, sought out another way to see this friend get into the place where Jesus was so that that person would walk out the door that was already closed.
Friends, do you have that kind of determination to see Jesus come? Is there a conviction to find another way to see Jesus come? Or is there a reluctancy in our hearts that says, well, God, I tried. Maybe next time. See, last week we started this series on spiritual authority. And the purpose of this of the study is to understand that the authority of Christ, this authority means that Jesus is God, is God's given right and responsibility to manifest the power and presence of God. There is an authority in our lives, just as there was an authority in Jesus' life to bring forth the power and presence of God. And so when Jesus looks down at this man, he immediately went to the purpose of him being here. See, Jesus had come to deal with the penalty of sin, sin being the separation from God. Now, there are three ways we can understand why Jesus had first addressed the sin rather than the healing. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. We understand that first, some historians may write down that this man had done something that caused his paralysis. An example might be, we look at a drunk driver and their irresponsible decision leading to a physical consequence. The second could be that most religious leaders believe that the penalty of a parent's sin or the sin of a family member was the, would result in the sickness or a disability. Or even lastly, that in general, we're all born into a broken world and that Brokenness came because of sin. See, Adam and Eve's sin resulted in the literal physical death and decay of our bodies. And, each, and in each one of us, that breaking down and will become sick is simply a plain reason that our world is broken. And our bodies are broken because of sin. And yet in this moment, the words of Jesus when he says your sins are forgiven brings about this emotional and physical restoration to this man. And to understand this, we got to understand who Jesus is. The denomination that we're a part, that the Plant Church is a part of is the Christian Missionary Alliance. And there are, four, there are four particular roles that we identify Jesus as. The first is sa- that he is our savior, he is our sanctifier, he is our healer. And he is our coming king. And yet amongst these four, healing is the one that seems to concern and almost creep people out a little bit. But we got to address the question, why did Jesus heal? We see in all these stories in the gospels of what Jesus is doing, and the healing sounds great, but we also got to understand why he does this. One reason, the first is to reveal the Father. See, healing, the purpose of healing, first and foremost, is to glorify God. See, while healing comes from God, the purpose of it is also to point it back to him. Healing comes from God, but the purpose of healing is to glorify him. Secondly, we also see that it reveals, Jesus heals because it reveals the role as to why he's here on earth, to be the son of God. See, Jesus proved, he would heal to prove that he was the Messiah, and we also see that Jesus heals to destroy sin. Question is here, how do you prove, how do you prove such an intangible thing? 
First, Jesus lived at that time, in his time, Jesus lived in a culture where the assumption that the sicknesses that, they, that people would have was the result of sin. And so based on that assumption, healing came with the forgiveness of sins. And to prove that he had the power to forgive sins, Jesus says to this man who's lowered down through the roof, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, take your mat, walk through those doors, and go home. We also see Jesus healing to bring an awakening and a hunger for salvation. See, Jesus knew that by meeting a physical need, the healing, the door would be open to speak about Jesus' greater mission, to bring salvation to the souls. We see this continual pattern, this repetitive pattern in Jesus' ministry that whenever Jesus makes this intangible claim, he backs it up with a tangible action. And lastly, we see Jesus heal because simply he cares about you. He heals to reveal his compassion for you. And brothers and sisters, if you're here today and no one's ever told you this, Jesus cares. He cares about your hurt. He cares about your wounds. And I want you to know Jesus sees you. He sees you, and he cares. And we see in the scriptures, there is no record of Jesus turning anyone away for when they ask for help. Now, granted, hear me when I say this, friends. You can receive healing and not be forgiven. But you can also forgive and not be healed. And I don't want to take that away that if there's been he- you've been searching for healing in your life and you feel like you haven't received it, that Jesus doesn't care. Because for Jesus, the healing aspect is simply a component that comes with the greater purpose, the restoration of your soul. I want you to know this. Jesus cares. Jesus cares about you. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to Jesus being our healer? And we see here that the man jumps up, he grabs his mat, and he walks out through those doors that were once closed. And to the amazement of all the stunned onlookers, they're amazed and begin praising God by exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And see, when Jesus began his healing process with this paralyzed man, he began speaking words of truth to him. See, these are the very words that seemed almost judgmental in the beginning, that, hey, you're like this because of your sins. Yet his words are actually filled with greater compassion for this man. See, words that this man, while nobody else might quite understand, this man understood and experienced. And so his response is to listen to Jesus. When Jesus says, jump up, get up, take up your mat and walk, it's exactly what he does. 
And so, my, and so, brothers and sisters, my question for all of us here today is if you were in that present situation, or you hear me sharing this story with you all, what is your response? How do you respond to something so dramatic? How do you respond to Jesus and his, divin- and his divinity in your life? Let me get a little more, let me push in a little more. Have you allowed yourself to have faith to believe in the divine? Do you actually allow others to have faith for you in his divinity? Let me make it simple. Do you believe in the divine healing power of Jesus? And my strong recommendation in response to all this for all of you here today is to do it with expectancy. Everybody say that word with me, expectancy. See, the word expectancy is the state of thinking or hoping that something, particularly and especially something pleasant, will happen. Expectancy is the state of thinking or hoping that something will happen. And brothers and sisters, would you be willing to have the expectancy that what Jesus did is what Jesus did in these stories is what Jesus is going to do here for you today? That Jesus is going to do it right now. Do you have an expectancy that if you struggle with the divine move of God, that He's called you here to this place to receive His divinity today? That there is an expectancy that you're here, even right now, not by coincidence, but by purpose. There's a reason why we're studying this series. Because God wants to do a divine work through Jesus in your life. A divine work that simply comes through the authority of Jesus. And so we see that Christ is our healer. And that there is a truth of healing that comes through the name of Jesus. What do we learn from this passage of scripture? And how these men believe this particular truth. See, when the church is centered on Christ, when we are plugged into the authority, we are called to be a healing community. Let me say that again. When we are centered on Christ, when we are plugged into his authority, we are called to be a healing community. So, brothers and sisters, what are the values and what does it mean to be a, to be a healing community? First off, to seek healing, we need to allow the authenticity of Christ to flourish in our lives. We create a a healing community. It creates a safe environment of acceptance, of forgiveness, and hope. We have to understand that healing community is actually founded on the bedrock and cornerstone of the overwhelming love of God. That through the, the, the tangible proclamations of our own words declaring who Jesus is and, his, and the reconciling work on that cross. But it's also a place where people carry each other's burdens. To be a healing community does not mean just to say, God, I need you. But also to recognize that others need him as well. 
It is the belief, to be a healing community is to believe that Jesus has the power to eradicate sickness and pain in the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual. And that greater power is granted through the authority of Jesus that lives in you even now. We are invited to bring the healing of Jesus into another's life. Brothers and sisters, how are you pursuing the healing of Jesus? How are you pursuing the life of Jesus? I want to close with this story. I want to share this, a little story as I close. I was born and raised in the streets and projects of Baltimore, relatively all black community. And around the fourth grade, I moved to my family. We got out of the city, moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a predominantly white community. Now, if you take a good look at me and look past my charming good looks, <laughs> you'll also understand that I don't look black or white. And so, unlike today, where there's a lot more awareness to cultural sensitivity, many of you may, may remember that during the, any time before now, there wasn't a lot of that. And so growing up, the majority of my life, I was often isolated and just a victim to racism. But my parents, they are immigrants from Korea. And so during those times, while I was constantly ridiculed and isolated for being Korean, I also took an immense pride to who I was, to my ethnic cultural heritage. I was proud to be Korean, despite it being the reason why I didn't have a lot of friends, if not any friends. And so you can imagine my excitement to finally leave high school and get to college where I hear all these stories of cultural diversity and to immediately get plugged into a Korean community. And so I finally graduate. I, I, I end up going to Penn State, and I see this large group of Koreans, and I'm like, I want in. And so I, I jump in, immediately jump into that community, and for the next year and a half, year and a half to two years, I'm, I'm immersing myself into, cultural, in, into my, my home culture. But later on, towards the end, they say something to me that begins to really wound the very fabric of how I viewed myself. And they say, Paul, you know, you're not really Korean. You're, you're really American. And, that, would, and that, that began to shatter my understanding of who I was. Because I wasn't accepted into the land in which I was born, my homeland, but I was also rejected by my motherland. And so I'm in this kind of crack, this, this abyss, in this little divide where I'm wondering, who am I? Where do I belong? Where do I call home? And I'm not trying to figure this out because now I feel like I was already struggling to find a place where I belong, and now I really didn't know. 
And surely I found myself going back to church and saying, God, you know what? My identity is secured in your kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. That's where I belong. I'm a child of God. And heaven is my home. Yeah, like I said before, right? You can be healed and not be forgiven. And the same is true is that while I found healing, I also still had not forgiven. In short, and during that time, as I went back to church, I decided to take a step back from pursuing my dreams. And, and during that time, the Lord called me into ministry. And so I transferred and began to pursue ministry. And I was still plugged into my home church, and, I, and we go into a retreat. And I still haven't figured out where I want to, where I really want to pursue ministry in. I'm studying youth ministry. And the Lord, during that retreat, says, Paul, I want you to go to a Korean church. I said, what? I said, God, listen, they just rejected me. Like, this is fresh. Like, not even a year ago, God, they rejected me. Why would you want me to go there? And God says, no, I want you to trust me. I mean, okay, if they take me, I'll go. And so there was a particular church that God was pulling my heart towards, and I decided to apply. I said, hey, I feel like the Lord is calling me to your church, and um, I want to apply for the youth pastor position. I ended up going to that place. And for the next seven years, God would do an immense and radical healing. Because what I didn't know is that there was a lot of people in that church that were a lot like me. What I realized is the faith that it took to really step into that place was an opportunity for me to also bring the name of Jesus to people who are just kind of stuck in that abyss and void. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this. It is not my faith that brought healing to those people at that church. Jesus is the healer, not my faith, not your faith. Our faith is simply a vehicle a form of transportation that allows others who are in the place of wounding and a place of no hope to get to the place where there is. And as I'm there, the more profound thing that also happens is that I began to recognize that there are pockets and spaces of people that exist with no hope that I don't know of, but Jesus knows that they are there. Jesus is simply asking, will you find a way? There are pockets and spaces that are closed off to you. But God is asking you, brothers and sisters, Will you find a way to find those people? Because there are people there that are looking for healing. They are looking for hope. They are looking for Jesus. And what it means to be a healing community means to search out even where it seems like there is no other way. Church, we got to stop being soft. We got to stop being reluctant as to, oh, I don't know. 
but we need to start being more tenacious and pursuing his children. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up as I close. See, the profound, the most, I think the most profound thing in my story is simply not that I was able to go into this pocket and space and to, to share Jesus into their lives. But it's actually the healing that Jesus did in mine. See, fresh, fresh off, I was rejected from these people. And yet at the end of it all, I got to hear their stories. I got to hear their wounds. And I got to share a good word with them. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen come to Jesus and come to find healing in their lives of wounds and hurts that I didn't know ever existed. But when I, but when I stepped down from my old church, the most profound thing for me was the healing of my identity. I can probably hear tell you all here today that after leaving that church, I took a moment to pray to God and say, God, I'm okay being Korean. I can probably hear say to you all, I'm proud to be Korean. I'm proud and thankful for the creativity of God in making who I am with purpose. And the same for all of you that he has made you with purpose as well. And there is purpose because he wants to see all of you healed. And he wants to see healing through you. Brothers and sisters, let me say this again. There are pockets and spaces that are closed off with people that you don't know exist, but God sees them. And he is inviting you as his church. Will you find a way? The same way those friends found a way. No matter what it takes. It's scary. I tell you this, as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, going into ministry into a church that rejected me, it was terrifying. And there may be places for many of you guys that you're afraid to go. And you're saying, well, God, there's no way. But God is asking you, my son, my daughter, Will you find a way so that healing can come into those places? I want to bless you as I close with a word that God gave to Joshua. Because Joshua wasn't, was a lot like us. Where there was a land that was closed off. But God asked Joshua, will you find a way into that land? Because that land will be my promised land. And so before Joshua goes in, he blesses Joshua. And with this word, I want to bless you as we close. He says in Joshua 1.9, do not be afraid or discouraged, but be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let us pray.
Lord, you bring a word for us here today that may weigh heavy on our hearts. But Lord, I ask through your Holy Spirit that we will not let this word be a word of guilt, but a word of conviction. A conviction to see your kingdom come, your will be done as it is heaven on earth. And so, Lord, we ask, and I just ask that you would just come, that this word would be a fresh anointing for your people of what it means to be a healing community, that there is a vision and there is a purpose as to why they are here at the plant. And to see this vision come to fruition, to be a people of healing, that we're not just here to be healed, Jesus, but to also be a vessel of your healing to bring your presence to the places that may be closed off and that there are people there that need healing today. So Jesus, would you come and give us that push in our lives to take that step forward and say yes to you? That heart and compassion to see your healing come to maybe those students in our classrooms to see healing come to the place to to those people in our workplaces or even to the family members at those dinners Jesus help us to be strong and courageous that you would cast out our fear and the discouragement of the enemy but to know that your presence is with us wherever we go. God, we want to see you come. We want to see your will be done. <laughs> and so I lift this up to you, God. I lift these people up to you into your mighty hands. And Lord, I pray that your people would be a church today. We seal this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. All God's people said, amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.